0: A reading from the Gospel according to Matthew. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, someone has to say it, and so I'm going to say it. Nancy, you really rock that hat. That is just totally cool. (laughs) Oh wow, look at this, stand up, stand up, come on. (laughs) Oh, that's cool. Envy is a sin, right? (laughs) Okay, okay. That's great. That's great. Thank you so much. Well, friends, on this Independence Day celebration of ours, we find ourselves at the close of a season of study and contemplation and appreciation of the opening lines of the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus shared the Beatitudes, God's blessing upon us. With the passage that Nancy just read for us, we continue on with that sermon, but let's think about the territory that we've covered. Jesus, in effect, has said to us with all of these beatitudes that God's blessing reaches into everyone's lives. There were some, especially those who led the faith of Israel in Jesus' day, who would say that God's blessing is given only to those who show obvious signs of that blessing. If you're rich, God has blessed you. If you're beautiful, God has blessed you. If you're popular, God has blessed you. If you're healthy, God has blessed you. If you're in control of your life and others' lives around you, God has blessed you. But if you don't fit any of those categories, too bad. Jesus has said otherwise. Blessed are the poor and the powerless. Blessed are those who seem to be clueless about God. Blessed are those who are mourning. Blessed are those who are trying to make peace and getting attacked because of it. Blessed are those who are are persecuted because of what they believe and who they follow. Blessed are the little people. Blessed are the losers. Blessed are those struggling mightily just to keep up and sometimes not even doing that. God's blessing is for everyone. And that was probably mostly everyone to whom Jesus was preaching on the hillside beside the Sea of Galilee as he preached the Sermon on the Mount. The rich and powerful and beautiful and famous would not have lived there. They would not have bothered to come there from down south in Jerusalem to hear Jesus preach. But that's who he was speaking to. And so Jesus continues his sermon by saying some things to people that have become so powerful. They are also so familiar. They are part of the way that we speak to each other. Jesus says to those folks, you are The salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Those images are so powerful and so pregnant with meaning that they've become part of the English language, really. When we want to say that someone is especially important and meaningful, we say they're salt of the earth kinds of folks. When we want to say that someone has brought something very special into our lives, we say that they have brought some light into our world. But as with all Scripture, we have to think more about exactly to whom Jesus was speaking and how he spoke. How many of you remember that famous poster created about a century ago? It's a picture of an old man with gray hair wearing kind of a formal suit and a top hat in red, white, and blue, and he's got a finger pointed directly out at you, and he says, I want you. You know, as I look around, some of us could be that old guy today. Wouldn't that be cool? (laughs) In effect, that's what Jesus is saying as he continues the sermon You, you little, weak, powerless, pathetic, unblessed people, according to the world, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. The commentators and the scholars and the theologians like to tell us that the way that the Greek is constructed here, Jesus is emphasizing that you business, and he's pointing at everyone. Because Jesus believes, Jesus knows, Jesus teaches the truth that everyone in God's way of thinking is important. Everyone's vital. Everyone contributes. Everyone means something in the way that God means for the world to be. Notice Jesus says, you are. Not something like, well, someday you might be, if you work hard enough. Or there's a chance, a a possibility, maybe not, probably not, but maybe... Jesus minces no words. He's crystal clear. You are. Jesus and God have a very high view of who we are. Yes, we know that we're miserable sinners. That's why we confess our sin at the beginning of every worship service, but we're more than that. We are God's people on earth. Israel had known that. Israel had believed that. Israel had understood at one time in its history that it was meant to be a light to the nations, a living example of how all of God's people were meant to live. But now the leaders said, no, it's really just about us. All the rest of you are created by God only so that God has someone to burn in hell. It was actually said by some of the old rabbis. Jesus says otherwise. Jesus lifts us up, those of us who are down at the bottom. And he makes us all equal with each other in our importance to God and in our significance to the economy of human society on this planet. That idea that it makes no difference who you are, where you've been born, who mommy and daddy are, how much money's in the bank, how beautiful and rich and powerful you are. None of that makes any difference because we are all equal in God's eyes. That idea was such a powerful idea that in the summer of 1776, A bunch of folks gathered to talk about how it was that they wanted to try something new on the face of the planet, and as they began their description of what that would be and their justification for what they would do, they said, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. That among those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. If you didn't memorize that when you were in school, get started. (laughs) One of the founding principles of the nation in which we live is that we are created equal. No one is above, no one is below that we all have a role to play, an important role in God's way of thinking about it. What is that role? What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to be salt and light. I hope you've heard this illustration a million times before because it's so powerful. Salt is an important thing for us. In Jesus' day, perhaps even more so. Salt was used to preserve food. You couldn't put it in the Ziploc baggie and put it in the freezer. You salted your food in order to preserve it and keep it so you wouldn't starve to death in the winter. Salt flavors things, makes things better. Yes, doctors tell us now that we get too much salt, but you have to have some salt. The human body cannot survive without sodium chloride. What's sodium chloride? Salts. Music directors know more than just about music. This is good. (laughs) You have to have salt to live. Not a whole lot, just enough. What about light? What about light? The other day, in fact, Friday, we were trying to have a committee meeting here at 7 o'clock in the morning. and, And our light system here at the church is structured so that everything shuts off at midnight. And it doesn't come back on until 7 o'clock. You can't turn the lights on before 7 o'clock in the morning. So some of us showed up and we couldn't turn the lights on. Later on they showed me how to override the system. They don't tell me everything here. so (laughs) It's kind of hard to have a meeting in the dark. We went outside. We needed some light. you got to have light. I don't have to belabor the point. We have to have salt. We have to have light. Those are two of the fundamental ingredients that make life happen on the face of the planet. And that's who we are, Jesus says. Without you, life does not happen. The world wants to tell us that life happens because of the movers and shakers, because of the masters of the universe, because the hundred most influential people in the world today. Well, la-di-da. Jesus would never create such a list. Jesus would say, you are the salt and light of the earth. And then he changes the metaphor. He adds another thought. We're getting used to talking about salt and light, and Jesus says, if you're not salt, you're worthless. If you're not shining your light, you're worthless. And then he says, a city set on a hill cannot be hid in Jesus day cities were usually built at the top of a hill so that you could build a wall around it so that you could protect it from everybody else You would have settlements down in the valleys, but those were always in danger of being overrun. You'd have to go down to the valleys so that you could tend to the crops that could live there because of the water. But the big cities, the important cities like Jerusalem, were built on the hill. You can't hide. You see the city that's there. It's an easy example for us to understand, isn't it? We are the city. Israel was called out to be a city, a community, a people, a family of God that was a shining light to the whole world of how God wants all of his children to live. As we're salty, as we're brilliant and shining bright with hats that flash like crazy, (laughs) we are that city on a hill. It was such a powerful message, such a dominant metaphor of Scripture and of the people of God, that in 1630, a British lawyer and nobleman, upset with the way things were in his country and hoping for a better life, gathered some people around him, created some common agreements that they all signed, and then set off in four small ships to sail to the new land, to settle in the new world. John Winthrop was their leader. They settled in the second major English establishment in the new world, in the Massachusetts Bay Colony. But before they got here, John Winthrop decided it was important, in fact vital, for everyone to remember why they were doing what they were doing. And so he preached a sermon that became one of the most famous sermons and most famous messages of any kind in the history of our nation. At the beginning of that sermon, I won't read all of it for you, but at the beginning he talks about the conditions of life as people were being persecuted for their faith, as they were being robbed of their freedoms, as they were being excluded from economic participation in the land. He reminded that small company of all of those reasons for why they had set off on this dangerous journey into this uncharted territory. And then he began to say this. I want to read for you a significant portion of the closing of that sermon. Thus stands the cause between God and us. We are entered into covenant with him for this work. We have taken out a commission. The Lord hath given us leave to draw our own articles. We have professed to enterprise these and those accounts upon these and those ends, And we have hereupon besought him of favor and blessing. Now if the Lord shall please to hear us and bring us in peace to the place we desire, then hath he ratified this covenant and sealed our commission, and will expect a strict performance of the articles contained in it. But if we shall neglect the observation of these articles, which are the ends we have propounded, and dissembling with our God shall fail to embrace this present world and prosecute our carnal intentions, seeking great things for ourselves and our posterity, the Lord will surely break out in wrath against us and be revenged of such a people and make us know the price of the breach of such a covenant. Now the only way to avoid this shipwreck and to provide for our posterity is to follow the counsel of Micah, to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God. For this end, we must be knit together in this work as one man. We must entertain each other in brotherly affection. We must be willing to abridge ourselves of our superfluities for the supply of others' necessities. We must uphold a familiar commerce together in all meekness, gentleness, patience, and liberality. We must delight in each other, make others' conditions our own, rejoice together, mourn together, labor and suffer together, always having before our eyes our commission and community in the work as members of the same body." So shall we keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The Lord will be our God and delight to dwell among us as his own people and will command a blessing upon us in all our ways so that we shall see much more of his wisdom, power, goodness, and truth than formerly we have been acquainted with. We shall find that the God of Israel is among us when ten of us shall be able to resist a thousand of our enemies when he shall make us a praise and a glory, that men shall say of succeeding plantations, may the Lord make it like that of New England. For we must consider that we shall be as a city upon a hill. The eyes of all people are upon us. I would proclaim to you today that nothing has changed. We still seek the blessing of God in this nation. We still seek to live out, to realize, to manifest our identity as those to whom Jesus said, you are the salt and light of the earth. We still want to be that shining city on the hill, living there, loving there, working there, not for our blessing, but for the blessing of others, not for our glory, but for the glory of God. We are great and can be greater still as that city set on a hill that embodies the grace and power and love of God that blesses the world. And so, 389 years after John Winthrop's sermon, 243 years after the Declaration of Independence in Philadelphia, let's keep working. Amen.